Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. Well, hey, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. If you're a little bit newer to Ethos, my name is Jordan, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you're hanging out with us. And hopefully you've already made and begun to execute some Valentine's Day plans if, uh, if you have a significant other. And if you haven't made plans today, even if you don't have a significant other, stop by the ORBC and grab a drink on us. All, all coffee, tea, espresso drinks, they're all on us. Uh, today, or at least I believe this morning, so you can swing by there. And if you haven't made plans for your significant other, pretend like you paid for it. We don't care. You can take full credit for it. If you're a little bit newer to Ethos and we can serve you in any way, truly, that's what we're here for, man. If we're not here to serve, then we might as well just hang this thing up. That's That's what the church, the church of Jesus Christ does best. In fact, it's what we should do best. Is to, is to serve all people. If you're watching online, would you do me a favor too? Would you share this, maybe on Facebook or YouTube? I really believe that what we're gonna to share today is gonna to be life-giving and it's gonna be encouraging and help us all grow closer in our relationship with Jesus. Well, hey, my, my, uh, my kids have been telling me more recently that my jokes are becoming very dad-like jokes. Like, I, I guess it's just what happens as your kids grow older. But I got a, I got a dad joke for you here. I'm gonna... I'm going to bless and encourage all the dads here. I'm going to give you something for free today. You can use this as well. Uh, Did Adam and Eve ever have a date? No. They had an apple. How about that one? I can literally imagine right now that my community group is laughing at how terrible that joke is. You get it, date, apple. Okay, you get it. You get it. Well, hey, we, we we are wrapping up a collection of talks that we kicked off the year with called Our Best Year Yet. We're really... Really, we've determined that we can lean into some practices or some disciplines in our life, some healthy disciplines in our life in order to have our best relational year with God yet. Can't promise your best financial year, can't promise your best best health year, but I'm telling you that if we lean into some of these truths that we've been discovering and talking through over the last several weeks, we, we really can have our best year as it relates to our relationship with God that we've ever had before. In fact, we kicked this thing off on January 4th with a, with a talk entitled Life as an Echo, where we really discussed how we are called to live as an echo for Jesus. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And then the second week, we took it a bit further and said the greatest way to know God is to lean into God's Word, God's truth. In fact, if you don't know what the Bible is all about, if you're maybe a little bit newer to your faith, or you've been around faith for quite some time, uh, but you're just not really sure, like, what, what is this whole thing all about? Like, what is the, the Scriptures for? Uh, that would be a great talk to listen to. Week number two called The Greatest Way to Know God. And then the next two weeks, week three and four, we talked about prayer. We talked about just praying what you've got, which has been a, a teaching and a truth that over the last few years has changed my relationship with God more than anything else. Just simply praying what I've got, when I've got it, where I've got it. In fact, I would encourage you to, to listen to week three and four just so that we can, as a community, begin to develop a healthy culture of prayer within our church. And then in week five, we we really kind of dove into what does it mean to fear God, to, to really reverence and respect and honor God above everyone and everything else, fearing God more than we fear man, fearing, fearing God more than we fear the appearance of fearing God, more than we fear death itself. And then last week, uh, our friend Noah pastors a fantastic church up in Cleveland called King's Church. He, he shared with us a really practical message about rebuilding a rhythm of rest. And why rest is so imperative to us as it relates to growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with God. And if you just need an encouraging message just to kind of breathe again and to slow down, I would really encourage you to check out last week. But I want to 
I want to conclude today, and next week we're going to jump into just a really quick two-week series, a two-week collection called God and the Pandemic, some things that God's placed on my heart probably six, seven, eight months ago that I've been kind of wrestling with, and we're going to unpack that beginning next week. But I want to, I want to finish this series today by kind of wrapping all of what we talked about into one message. It'll make more sense here in a moment, but, but the title of our talk today is To Be, To Become, To Do, Practicing the Way of Jesus. To Be, To Become, To Do, Practicing the Way of Jesus. Uh, when I was in college, I worked at Express, Express Retail Store. And in fact, I think like my official title was an Express Retail Store Associate. Like it sounded so official. I think I was making like $6.75 an hour, like something like that, right? And, and, and my first day happened to be in the month of December, and it was a Saturday. So as you can imagine, it's a retail store long before pandemic days, and it was packed, it was slammed. And I never really got proper training, but at one point in the day, there was a whole wall of women's sweaters that needed folded. And the store manager was kind of just really busy that day, right? And it's like, Jordan, can you, in fact, in fact, true story, I think they came over to me like, hey, what's your name again? I was like, Jordan? Like, yeah, okay, can you go fold those sweaters? And I was like, sure. So I go over these sweaters, I begin to fold them. About 10 minutes into them, I see some other store associates like laughing at me, which is never a comfortable environment to be in when you see your peripheral people laughing at you, not with you, at you, right? And I soon discovered that I was folding these sweaters all wrong, but nobody came over to tell me about it. I felt like such an idiot, right? Like, like have you ever been there before where you just, you don't know, you don't know any better, like you've kind of seen some other people do something and so you just kind of make some assumptions based off of what you've seen and maybe you're too afraid to ask questions and, or, or maybe, maybe you don't think you even need to ask questions. You think, I've got this thing, my mom told me how to fold before, surely it's gotta be similar to what she taught me, right? Well, I, I think we can relate to that just as it relates to being a follower of Jesus. In fact, around here at Ethos, you hear that phrase a lot, to be a follower of Jesus or to follow Jesus. In fact, I'm not a real big fan of the word Christian because I think that term has been used and abused and misused for centuries now. And as we look at the scriptures, we really only see the term Christian used two times and both of which are in a bit of a derogatory manner. But we see this word follower of Jesus or disciple, also translated kind of synonymously. We see that word used over 280 times in the New Testament, the newer portion of our Bible. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? I, I want us to just a moment kind of digress. And if you're not into history, forgive me. Give me just five minutes here because I really believe that it's important for us to understand the historical context for what a follower of Jesus is all about. If we're going to best follow Jesus, which is what we are on a passionate mission to do here at Ethos, I just think that life is better when we've got a very clear, strong, confident, bold leader who's, who's, who's guiding the path, who's lighting our path for us. It's just better, right? And so we want to follow Jesus. But what does that even, what does that even mean? Because I think sometimes that, that term is used so loosely. In fact, I would... I would even apologize for not better defining it sooner than I am right now. But to best understand what that phrase means, we have to first understand that Jesus, when he shows up on the scene in first century, in first century Jerusalem, he, he is best known as a rabbi. 
Like before he's seen as Lord, Savior, King, Messiah, he's, he's rabbi, which is a very, very big deal. Without getting into all the nuances, but just to best give us some context to this, it's kind of hard for us in America to identify what might translate as maybe the significance of what a rabbi was in first century Jewish culture. But just imagine with me if you're a sports fan, like, like maybe if you're a football fan, it's Tom Brady, right? Like if you're in the business world, like this is Patrick Lencioni or John Maxwell. Like if you're in the church world, like this is the, this is the cream of the crop. Like to be a rabbi, you have made it. And so this is, this is Jesus. He has proven himself to be sufficiently capable of being the best of the best as it relates to being a teacher of Jewish culture and Jewish ways, Jewish religion. So, so first off, we've got to understand that Jewish... We've got to understand that Jesus is a, is a rabbi. So let's jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 16. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, or Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called to them. He said, come, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. They left their nets, and they followed him. Mark 2, verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again, taught the crowds, for they were coming to him, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and he followed him. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up into the mountain and he called out to the ones that he wanted to come with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and he called them his apostles. These are his first disciples and they were to accompany him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Then he called to the crowd to come along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now I want us to recognize this pattern here. There's, there's a pattern. The call of Jesus was not, hey, everybody, believe in me, and you get to come to heaven. That's not the call of Jesus. It's, it's more significant than that. It's much more practical than that as well. It's, it's come and follow me, or also translated as be my disciple. Now that term disciple in the Hebrew language is the, is the word talmidim, which is also translated as student or follower or apprentice. But don't think of like a follower on Instagram where like, you know, like, yeah, I'm kind of like aware of what they do and kind of a little bit of what goes on in their life, or at least the highlight reels of their lives. Don't think of this as like a student at OSU or Otterbein or any one of the other universities that you may have attended or know somebody who's who's attending. No, no, no. Think of it. I think the best word really is translated as, as apprentice. And so Jesus, though, he, he wasn't the first to have disciples. In fact, in first century, discipleship was like the apex of the Jewish education system. And there was really three levels to this education system. Okay, so let me, I'm, I'm going to like nerd out on you for just a moment. So just kind of hang with me here. But that first level of discipleship is is known as Beit Sefer, or the house of books, as it's translated in English. House being like an education, schoolhouse of, of books, so to speak. And this is, this is for all young Jewish children between the age of 5 and 12, male and female. They would, they would memorize and study the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. They would study this for years, for really about seven years. They study it 
with the goal of memorizing all of it. Like this is kind of insane, right? Like, like some of us are reading through the Old Testament right now. Like I'm near the end of Exodus and to, to, to even imagine trying to memorize just Exodus alone would be like so unbelievably overwhelming for me, right? Like as I'm sure it would be for many of you, but that's what they set out to, to do. Now, by the time they got to the age of 12, they could potentially go on to the next level of discipleship. But if they, if they weren't good enough, the, the young boys, they would, they would kind of graduate from that first level and they would become apprentices of their family business. They would essentially study their father's uh, vocation and would really kind of just lean into the family business. And females, then they would, they would get married and they would actually begin to have children. This was part of their culture. Even by the age of 13, 14, it was not uncommon for them to begin to have children and begin to raise a family. But the best of the best would graduate into phase two or level two of discipleship called Beit Talmud or the house of learning. And this is between the ages of about 12 to 15. And it was, it was, it was really for kind of the cream of the crop. Very few people would have graduated into this, into this particular level. And at this point, in that three or four years within the house of learning, you, you were going to memorize most, if not all, of the Old Testament. Not just the first five books of the Bible. Like now you've got all the prophets and, and like you, you've got Psalms and Proverbs. Like good luck. Like this is a massive undertaking. And yet this is what, this is what they did. And now the third level though, for even the best of the best of the best is Beit Midrosh, which is the house of study. Now if you made it this far, and there's a big if, because very few would be able to make it this far. You were then given the opportunity to ask a rabbi to seek further education. And this particular rabbi would grill you with question after question in order to determine if you were good enough to simply follow him. If he didn't think you were good enough, he'd say, no, sorry, you didn't pass. I don't want to place my stamp of approval on you. You're just not smart enough. You don't know the scriptures well enough. You haven't answered my questions thoroughly enough, go ahead and go back to your family business now, which was not uncommon. In fact, people would get turned down more by rabbis than they would be accepted by rabbis. So if they didn't think highly enough of you, they, they'd say no. But if they did think highly enough of you, then that particular rabbi would become your teacher. And it would be your goal to become just like your rabbi. You would take on his beliefs and interpretation of scripture, which was called his yoke. And he would say to you, this was a very common phrase. It was almost like the graduation phrase. It'd say, come, follow me. Same words that Jesus used. So the disciples of the Talmudim, as we mentioned the Hebrew word earlier, they, they had three goals when they got to this space. When the rabbis said, come, follow me, they had three goals. First one is to be with the rabbi. As much as they could possibly with them, 24-7, eat, sleep, drink, whatever, they're going to be with their rabbi. In fact, there was a common phrase of the day that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That was the goal. It's all dirt roads, right? Like this, at the end of the day, though, it was like, yo, look at the dust on me right now. It was a point of pride. It was like, hey, look at me, my rabbi. I was, he allowed me to walk so closely with him that I'm covered in his dust. It was, it was a great thing. In fact, 
There's even stories that I've read where certain rabbis, they, they had like a permanent limp to their, to their walk and, and their disciples would take on that same limp. They'd want to walk and mimic the exact same movements as their, as their rabbis. So the second thing then, the second goal would be to become like your rabbi. So they'd want to be with your rabbi, then they want to become like your, like your rabbi. You know, today we're kind of all on, a, on our own personal missions to be really unique, aren't we? Like we don't really want to fit into the crowd. And in some respects, that's a really healthy thing. And in a lot of ways too, there's so many great uh, leadership assessments and personality profiles, Enneagram and Strengths Finders and Myers-Briggs and DISC and Life and all of those things. And I think they're all great. I'm a huge fan and proponent of, of, of many of them. But, but for a lot of us, the goal is really just to kind of be unique. Like, like we're, we're even told at a young age, like you, you're a snowflake, right? Like there's nobody else like you. Nobody's actually ever told me I'm a snowflake before, although like that would... That would kind of be like a pretty cool compliment. And so, but, but maybe not actually. Now, the more I think about it, don't text me that I'm a snowflake. I've, I have a feeling I'm going to get some texts I'm a snowflake now. But nevertheless, in, in Jesus' day, that was not the goal, to be unique. Like you wanted to become like your rabbi. In fact, you really wanted to become like any rabbi because the privilege of, of being told, come follow me by a rabbi was so significant. And the third goal of the disciples is to then do what your rabbi did, to be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, and then to do what your rabbi did. That was really the whole point of being a disciple. Then go and make more disciples, just like your rabbi made you into a disciple. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this, but, but to follow Jesus means that we order our lives around the exact same three goals. To be with Jesus. That's number one. That's the goal of being a follower of Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. Listen to me, Ethos. How does this work, though? Which is a good question to ask. Like, how, how do we be with Jesus today? Like, He's not here physically present. In fact, I would always encourage you that whenever you're listening to a teaching, be asking yourself questions like, but how? But where? But when? But why? Like, so how do we do that? Well, the short answer is to live in constant awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. There's God the Father, is God the Son, Jesus, and this is the Holy Spirit who kind of gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. And we'll, we're going to teach more on the Holy Spirit this coming summer, but, but just saying the word summer sounds good, doesn't it? But, but, but really, that's, that's the goal, like just to live in awareness. And we spoke about this just a few weeks ago as we, as we talked about reading the Scriptures in prayer and, and just living in awareness that God is always with it. That's where we begin, carving out time throughout our days just to kind of sit again, take a step back, to slow down, as Noah talked about last week, and to be aware of God's presence through His Holy Spirit. In John 15, verse 4, Jesus is speaking. He says, Remain in me, and I'll remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's served or severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will then produce fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. In other words, apart from God's presence, we can't do anything because it's God's presence that makes all the difference in our lives. I love, this, I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, the first and most basic thing we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him, in the early time of our practicing, 
we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But listen, these are just habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new and grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. The best part about following Jesus, church, is Jesus. That's it. And, and, and for some of us, maybe that doesn't sound like that's really great. But the only reason why it does is because we just haven't seen Jesus for who He really is. Which again, that's why we exist. The greatest prayer and cry of my heart for us as a community here is to actually show people who Jesus really is. Because when they get a glimpse of Jesus, everything begins to change. Not necessarily their circumstance or the situation. Sometimes that doesn't always change. But the way in which we view things, the way in which we experience the peace and the joy and the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus to be empowered to overcome things in our life, that's what begins to change. we got to know who Jesus is by simply just being with Jesus. And the second thing is we got to then become like Jesus. Like This is the goal. Become like Jesus. We're all being formed into something or someone, all of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we are all being formed into something. Something that is oftentimes out of our own control. We're being formed simply because of the friendships that we have in our lives, because of the social media that we engage in, because of the news outlets that we lean into. We are all being formed. (laughs) Sometimes we don't like to think that we are. Sometimes we like to think we have complete control over who we're being formed into, but we don't. And the goal is to become like Jesus. That we do if we're intentional with it. I'll talk about it here in a moment. We've got some some control over that. Third thing, third goal is then to do what Jesus did. And this is tricky though, because Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. So in first century, second century, third century, even prior to, yeah, okay, I'm going to do what my rabbi did. But Jesus was also God. And so we see Jesus preaching the gospel teaching the way of Jesus, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating with people far from God, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying. We see him doing all sorts of things. In fact, I I read a recent theologian who said, really, we can kind of see the work of Jesus kind of summed up in these nine things I I just highlighted. And that's the goal, is to do what Jesus did, which sounds kind of audacious. It sounds kind of crazy. And for a lot of us, we're like, I've never seen anybody do that stuff before. Like, that's the goal? That is the goal. But hear me, it doesn't happen overnight. To do what Jesus did doesn't happen overnight. the, the, The invitation of Jesus is to become a follower of Jesus, not not just a Christian. And and following Jesus is a lifelong endeavor and a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. Again, Dallas Willard. Quoting him here, he said, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, listen to that, of all the stuff that's happening in our world today, the political system, all of the racism and injustice, wars, of all the heartbreaking needs, Dallas Willard goes on, he says, is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. That's what being a disciple and a follower of Jesus 
is all about. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my friend who's literally behind the camera that I'm looking at right here. And his name's Daniel. And Daniel uh, has run marathons. Have you run multiple marathons, Daniel? Two. Okay, he's run two marathons, which is exactly um, two more than I've ever run in my life. In fact, the, the most I've run before is a 5K, which is like 3.1, 3.2. Uh, uh, that's a stretch. I'm exaggerating. 3.1. Daniel's telling me 3.1. But I've never run a marathon before. Here's the deal, though. It's not that I can't run a marathon. It's that I can't run a marathon now. <laughs> like, imagine if you or I were to determine to run a marathon, and we said, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be ludicrous. I have friends who, like, they'll work out for the first time, and they just go hardcore, like, all in on day one. And by day two, they're like walking around like they can't move, like they're in a body cast. You, know, you, you ever seen that before? They're so sort of like, bro, you kind of overdid it. Like you did on day one what probably should have been reserved for like day 365. Well, the same thing would apply for a marathon. You have to start off in increments and eventually you get there. And then on the day of actually running the marathon after training for quite some time, it's not that the marathon then is easy. No, it's still hard or at least I'm told it's still hard. Yep, it's still hard. Okay, just checking. I've never done it before myself, right? So looking at Daniel here, he's, he's affirming, yes, it's still hard. It's still hard, but you can, you can do it. My, my daughter, she's, she's learning the guitar right now. Colton, our worship director, is, is actually teaching her. And, 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 you know, right now, like, you know, she's getting better and better. And I keep telling her, I said, maybe someday you're going to be able to play, like, at ethos. Like, someday you're going to be that good, but it takes practice and that takes and that takes time because here's the deal listen to me being a follower of Jesus it's not about trying it's about training that'll change everything for us if we just oh God help us to get that in this moment it's, it's not just about trying it's just like it's not about just trying to run a marathon it's about training for a marathon it's not just about it's not just about trying to play the guitar it's about training and practicing to play the guitar. So if you want to experience life with God, life to the full, as Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10, it's going to take a lifetime of practice and it has to be done in community. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this at all because I'm actually going to wrap this up here in, in just, just a moment because we've talked about this before, but I don't believe that you can actually follow Jesus outside of community. I don't believe you can. We see precedent and example after example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, in fact, Paul best relates what it looks like to be a part of our faith by representing or rather by teaching us that we are a part of the body. Jesus is the head. We're all a part of the body. Then we all represent a part of the body of Jesus. So we can't actually follow Jesus separate from community. If you do, you eventually burn out. You eventually kind of wear down. You eventually become kind of disenfranchised and move on from your faith altogether. I've seen this happen dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of times. Or at best, you maybe even just become kind of weird and flaky because you're doing it all by yourself. And, and I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen dozens and dozens of times as well. So it's going to take a lifetime of practice and it has to be done in community. Now I'm going to close with this illustration, this illustration right here. I want us to contrast what 
unintentional discipleship, what we're going to call spiritual formation, being formed spiritually. This is a very common term uh, within Christendom. We haven't necessarily used it much within ethos, but, but I want us to contrast what unintentional discipleship or unintentional spiritual formation looks like, again, contrasted to what intentional spiritual formation looks like. See, in unintentional spiritual formation, you'll notice here that in the center is our environment. And you've heard it said before that really we're all products of our environment, right? Like we're products of where we were raised, who we, who we were raised by, where we go to school, and so on and so forth. And this is what unintentional spiritual formation looks like. We are products of our environment. That's at the center of our lives. And then we have these relationships. We have friendships. And we've unpacked this before, but really our friendships determine the direction in the quality of our life. Whether we like to think that that's true or not, it's just true. In fact, there's study after study right now that's, that's being done over the last decade where it's showing that even just being in close proximity to people, we start to become more and more like them, not even having conversations with them, which is pretty radical and, 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 kind, of, and kind of wild. But then also we're, we're formed by our habits, by what we do on a regular basis. Like, where we hang out, what do we do when we first wake up, what do we do before we go to bed, like these are things that, that form us oftentimes very unintentionally. We're also formed by the stories we believe, by the things that we were told, by the things that we see, by the things that we hear, by the things that we consume, again, through social media or news outlets or et cetera, et cetera. And this happens over time and it happens through experiences, right? Like things just happen to us and then we're just unintentionally formed. But let's contrast that then to what intentional spiritual formation or intentional discipleship looks like. This is where we keep the Holy Spirit at the center of our lives. This is where we replace, this is where we replace relationship with the term community. Because we can have all sorts of relationships. And oftentimes we look for relationships based off of chemistry. But community in Jesus isn't based off of chemistry. Community is what we commit to. In fact, we get the root word calm there from the word commit, community. This is something that we commit our lives to. In fact, I would say, as boldly as I can possibly say it, that when we hop from one community to the next, we are missing out on being intentionally formed as disciples of Jesus, and we are missing out on some of the greatest joy that we experience by being sharpened by the same community over time. We're also then intentionally formed by practices, not just habits, but by things that we intentionally practice. These are disciplines of our faith that we spoke of over the last few weeks, and we're going to dive into even more as time goes on throughout this, throughout this year. But some of what we've discussed as it relates to prayer and reading the Word of God and diving into a Bible reading plan and resting and taking seriously that which is to kind of remove ourselves from our phone and the distraction that that can create in our lives from, from really leaning into time with God, and then also teaching. Not just simply stories that we believe, but teachings from the Scripture. This is what I've given my life to, truthfully. It's the thing that I practice and try to become better at so that we as a community can, can have life-giving, healthy teaching centered around Jesus found in His, in His Scriptures. And this happens over time through what Jay-Z calls <laughs> the hard knocks of life, right? Like, like we're formed spiritually, intentionally through the hard knocks of life. Like, but we, we choose to get back up. So it's not just experiences. It's like, oh, no, things are going to happen to us. And they're not always going to be things that we desire. 
but we're going to lean still into who Jesus is and being aware of His presence. So again, I'm closing. I really am right here. But if you want to experience life with Jesus, it's practice, not perfection. We talked about Jay-Z. Let's talk about Allen Iverson, the great theologian. We're talking about practice, y'all. Like if you're old enough to remember that, that's classic right there. As a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I definitely remember that whole interview right there. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, God bless you. It's okay. But we're talking about, talking about practice, not perfection. It's having a long obedience in the same direction. And here's the best news. Here's the best news as we kind of close this thing up. The invitation to come follow Jesus it's open to everybody. Everybody. No matter where you are in life, whether you believe that God is real or you don't at all, but you're just kind of questioning and trying to figure things out. And you're leaning in and listening to this today because you just like, hey, I at least want to try to discover maybe if God is real. No matter where you are, the invitation still remains the same for you today as it did for the early disciples 2,000 years ago. See, the the rabbis before Jesus, they would invite people to come follow him, but they'd only invite the best of the best. But Jesus, he's like, no, you don't have to get your act together. You don't have to be the quote unquote best of the best. He's like, I want everybody. I'm inviting everybody. No matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, no matter what your future or your past may or may not look like, it's, it's open invitation to you. But here's, here's the real practical part here. But no matter where you are, there is a next step for you. This is, this is why I'm closing our series with this talk because I'm, I'm concluding with this final 120 seconds here. This is it right here. This is it. Because following Jesus is a journey. It's not static. It's a constant movement, a constant movement forward with Jesus. And I've been praying all day that we would get this right here. There is always a next step for you. If you are far from God and not even sure what you believe about God, maybe the next step for you is to simply reach out to a friend who you know is a disciple or is a follower of Jesus and to simply ask them to grab coffee or lunch with you. Hey, you've got some honest questions you want to ask them. I pray that we would be a community here that would not shy away from difficult questions but would lean into the tough stuff and sometimes even throw our hands up and be like, I don't know. And be willing to admit when we don't know the answer to the difficult questions that sometimes life just throws our way. And maybe you don't have a friend that you can ask out to coffee. Maybe you don't know anybody. Ask me. I will gladly go out with you. I promise you, this at the risk of sounding like whatever, I'm very non-judgmental, and I would love to sit down and have coffee or buy you lunch and listen to your story and do my best to maybe present some, some responses to your, to your question as it relates to, to faith in God and Jesus and the Spirit of God and living on mission for Him. But, but maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you say, man, I read my Bible, I pray, I've been going to church, I even give financially to support the mission of Jesus. I want to see the work of Jesus move forward faster. Like I want, I, I'm a part of establishing His kingdom, all this stuff. I, I'm in it, man. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a veteran in the faith. But maybe you've kind of become stagnant and you haven't slowed down to ask, Jesus, what's your next step for me? I think this is where a lot of church folk find themselves. In fact, I think this is where a lot of us who are listening and leaning in right now find ourselves. Just to pause for a moment. Again, a relationship with Jesus is not static. It's a movement. Jesus, what do you have for me? What's my next step? Because following Jesus actually involves stepping and walking and moving. 
So what's the next step? Again, it's about practice, not perfection. So he's not just going to give you like 20 steps and overwhelm you. And sometimes that's what we do. I, I see young people do this all the time. We, we set these Bible reading goals that are so audacious. And, and, we, and we create these, these basically like, I don't know, these disciplines in our life where we're like, I'm going to go all out for Jesus this year. I'm like, hey, look, I love that you want to read your Bible entirely in a year. But have you ever just read the New Testament one time? Let's just start there. Maybe that's the next step for you. In fact, over the last few weeks, both in my community group and just through text messages and phone calls and coffee with, with some of you all, there's been some really practical takeaways that people have shared with me that I want to share with you. Somebody told me weeks ago, they said, I'm taking five to 10 minutes, three times a day. I'm scheduling this in on my phone just to, just to once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening, as, a, as, a, as my calendar reminder goes off, five to 10 minutes, just to sit and be aware of God's presence. That was the next step. Now this individual, maybe they thought that they came up with it on their own, but I would say, no, no, that was an impression that the Holy Spirit gave them to begin to lean into a next step of following Jesus. Somebody texted me and said, I'm reading through the New Testament this year for the very first time. Somebody else texted me and said, I'm reading through the entire Bible this year. Somebody told me, they said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna join a study group. I really feel like the next step for me is to have better relationships and to commit deeply in community. So I, I've joined a study group and this is, this is not some shameless, well actually I guess it is shameless, but it's not some, some intentional plug for study groups, but they're still available and they're still open. I would encourage you to check them out, go online if that would be of interest to you and grow, grow further in your faith and understanding of the scriptures, but also grow further in relationship with some other people who are living on mission in that same direction. Somebody else told me that they're, they're reading one spiritual growth book one per month. And so they asked me, what are some good books that I can begin reading? Somebody else told me I'm journaling my prayers. Once a week, I'm sitting down. I'm just going to journal out some prayers. Somebody told me I'm going to meet with a friend one time a week to read our Bibles together. It's amazing. I love that. Somebody else told me I'm going to serve at Ethos as soon as we regather. When are we regathering? They said, I want to serve as soon as we regathering, which pray for us. We are knee deep right now in, in really figuring out all the nuances and the details of that. And we'll have more information to share here in, in about a week or two. And somebody else said, I'm gonna fast three days every month. The first, second, and third day of the month, I'm gonna fast. We haven't taught on fasting. It's incredible, I love that. We're gonna teach on that in the future as well. Somebody said, I'm gonna set my phone aside. So somebody in our group, I'm gonna set my phone aside at 6 p.m. every night. I'm gonna set it aside, just hang out with my kids, be with my wife, and just kind of enjoy just living at a healthier pace. So here, I'm closing. I think I said that three times, so I guess I lied to you the first two times, so sorry about that, but, but this really is it. So what's your next step? What is it? Like take some time, pause, slow down long enough. What's your next step? Like this, this we're just, we're ending this whole collection, your best year yet, as practical as we can get, recognizing that Jesus keeps calling us to follow him. And he says, look, you're gonna make mistakes. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, it's almost like Jesus, like, he assumed, like, you're going to lie. Some bad things are going to happen. Some people might even sue you, maybe even take you to court. He says, like, people are going to talk about you. You're going to have enemies. Like, you're going to lust. Like, all these, like, these things are going to happen. Like, you're going to do them. But just get back up. It's, it's practice, not perfection. It's a long obedience in the same direction to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So what's your next step in following Jesus? This is who we are as a community at Ethos. Passionate about being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. And we've got to just keep 
taking next steps. Church, I love you so much. And I am committed to leading us to just keep following after Jesus so that we can show our city and our world who Jesus really is. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of those who are, who are watching and listening right now. And God, I just ask that wherever they may be, that you'd reveal to them, even in this moment, what a next step may be. In fact, we're just going to take a moment right now. If you're in group or you're watching this by yourself, just close your eyes and take the next 15 to 30 seconds and just begin to reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what your next step is in following Jesus. Just ask Him, say, Jesus, what, what's my next step? Holy Spirit, reveal to us our next step in following Jesus. Well, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, but you want to, you want to have a relationship with God, you want to know with certainty, with confidence, with full confidence, that you have been made right with God. You know, you can be forgiven of all of your sin, all of your error, all that shame that you carry around with you day after day for the mistakes that you've made, from the things that you've never even told anybody before. You know, Jesus wants to forgive you. In fact, He already has forgiven you. All that's required of us is to place our faith in Him in order to receive his forgiveness. He washes us clean. It literally says, the scriptures say, he makes us new in 2 Corinthians 5. He, he, he makes us to become new creatures in Christ when we place our faith in him. But basically, the old is gone, the new has come. We can know that we know that we know that our relationship with God has been made right by simply telling Jesus, I trust you. I place my faith in you. And my life will never be the same again. Just call upon the name of Jesus. That's it.